0: You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen.
1: Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with the founder and CEO of ProFood Systems, Inc., Sean Beecham, about the challenges in creating and operating a 100% employee-owned business. Sean is an entrepreneur who believes that empowering employees to think and act like owners is a recipe for success, and I am super excited to hear his thoughts on empowering employees. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal.
1: Welcome back to our listeners, and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Sean Burcham.
2: Hi, glad to be here, Teresa.
1: We're really happy to have you here. So before we get started, why don't we do what we normally do, and that's to have you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do.
2: Sure. Well, like you said, my name's Sean Burcham, uh, born and raised here in Missouri, Uh, really started a, a business out of the garage. Uh, Everything has to start somewhere, right? So we started in the garage, and I love stories like that when I hear them, and ultimately that's how businesses get started. Uh, My wife and I started the company, and uh, it's about 21 years old now, so the company is essentially a wholesale food and equipment company. We specialize in putting branded food programs inside supermarkets and convenience stores all across the country. We work in about 42 states now. And our flagship program, what we started with, was a branded food concept called Champ's Chicken. So think of it like putting a KFC or Church's or Popeye's or Chick-fil-A inside the supermarket and convenience store and uh, having a brand that flies with a very high-quality, fresh-breaded program. Uh, but we now have uh, Blue Taco, which is also a franchise uh, that, that is uh, inside supermarkets and convenience stores. And... Cooper's Express brand and some private label programs. So, what we really do is work inside supermarkets and convenience stores. What we're most proud of is our culture and uh, the uh, employee owner base that we've developed, and ultimately, our core purpose is to help others be more successful in both work and life.
1: Well, I love that. I think that's great. You sound very busy. I like that too. So, just so we're kind of all on the same page, why don't you tell us a little bit before we get into it about what an employee-owned company, or is the acronym, it's ESOP, is that correct?
2: Yes, uh, there, there are several different types of employee ownership, uh, we, what we did is create an, an ESOP, so uh, that stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan, and essentially what that does is, uh, over time, that transfers the shares to all of the employee uh, all of the employees, both the existing employees that were here at the time and then going forward, uh, every employee gets shares of the company each year as the company is valued each year. Uh, and ESOP is extremely unique in the fact that it's very similar to a 401k. Uh, An ESOP is essentially a qualified retirement plan, uh, and it has a plan document much like a 401k does. So very unique concept, and uh, there there's no uh, discrimination in there. Uh, you can't give uh, some employees more stock than others. It's strictly non-discriminatory and based upon the total percentage of pay that you make compared to the total pay of the company. So it's great, uh, great program.
1: It's a really interesting concept, and I think when you and I spoke today, I think you said it was 17 years ago that you made the decision to to transition your company. Is that correct?
2: Actually, it was uh, just three years ago, so it was 17 oh. years into oh.
1: the company.
2: But uh, yeah, we actually just transitioned to an employee stock ownership plan uh, January 3rd of 2017.
1: Oh, all right, I got my 17s mixed up. Well, so <laughs> tell, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. tell me, tell me about the biggest challenge then, because it's going to be fresh in your mind. I love it. I want to know the biggest fall- uh, challenge that you faced when you decided to make this jump.
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit different for everybody. I'll I'll tell you, mine is the fact that as a founder, you can imagine the the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into a company. And and creating an ESOP is essentially selling the company. We went from a 0% uh, ESOP, so we're 100% privately held. My wife and I held all the stock to essentially uh, giving that uh, stock and and selling that stock essentially to the trust, uh, which the ESOP is a trust. And there's a trustee that controls that, and they're responsible for divvying out the shares uh, to all the employees. So for me, that, that, that biggest challenge was that mental hurdle of, man, this is kind of my thing. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's like selling your company to some degree. The, the beauty of the ESOP is I get to stay here and work uh, as long as the board will have me. And at my age, it really wasn't an exit strategy. It was a strategy to give everybody a stake in the outcome. But it's uh, it's given up your company uh, to some degree, uh, the the ownership of it. So that was that was a, a, a mental hurdle to get over, if you will.
1: I'll bet that's got to be tough. That entrepreneurial spirit and going it alone, and then realizing, well, maybe we maybe we'd be better off. If we did this a little bit different. Do you mind sharing with us why it is, what the impetus behind it was?
2: Yeah, for me, it, it really is giving everybody a stake in the outcome of of what this company. Uh, has in its future. We're, we're very fortunate to have had double digit growth for 20 years, and we feel we can sustain that for 20 plus more years. I uh, wanted to really send a message to our employee owners uh, that we're not selling out to private equity. We're, we're committed to creating an evergreen company that's going to be here 100 plus years, creating succession planning, uh, and just really didn't want to see all of this work go to a, a large company or a private equity company. And all of these jobs disappear uh, to some, you know, in some cases when you sell out to those other individuals. And we also wanted to make a commitment to the community. We're we're in a very small community, and we've become a big part of of the local economy here. So we also wanted to send a message locally that this company is here to stay.
1: I think that's great because a lot of people do it for various different reasons, and some of it, not all of it, are as altruistic as yours, which I think is a wonderful reason to do it, and it sort of I, I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later um, on, on the dynamics of that and why you know why companies choose to do it and the and the dynamics that 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 can create but tell me tell me about how things change then. did you have when you made the decision and you wanted to make those commitments, so how did it change the culture of the organization if it did at all?
2: It's a great question because. Uh, we actually coach people on this through our coaching company, but I, I would tell you that just doing an ESOP transaction and becoming employee-owned, uh, whether it's an ESOP or some other type of employee ownership, uh, really does nothing for your culture if you don't communicate the, the reasons why it's good for the the new employee owners. So communication is, is a big part of it. We, we have spent a lot of time uh, since 2011. We've been a complete open book management company, and we've really... We had really spent a lot of time teaching people to think and act like owners and understand the financials of the business and how tough business is. So for us, it was kind of the icing on the cake, and we communicated all the way through the ESOP transition process uh, what was going to happen. So uh, long answer to your question there, but just implementing an ESOP, quite frankly, won't ever change the culture if you don't do it right and communicate the reasons behind it.
1: I think so, too. And, uh, and I think that, well, uh, tell me about some of the concerns that the employees had. Did, did, were there concerns from the employees? Was there a bit of, little bit of doubt, or had you created such goodwill with the company that they were sort of on board with you?
2: Ours was mostly well-received because of uh, our open management style, the open book management style, and the communication that we did along the way. Uh, the biggest concern comes in, in form of it's almost... And ESOP is one of those concepts that's almost too good to be true. Uh, the tax advantages that are in play for the ESOP itself, after it's a hundred percent ESOP, uh, they essentially don't pay federal and state income taxes because those taxes are actually paid through the uh, employee owners, just like in a four hundred one k when they cash out their stock. Oh wow! They pay whatever whatever tax rate they're at. So the company along the way doesn't pay taxes. Uh, but the biggest concern would probably be the just the thought process of oh, oh no, what does that mean for me? I mean, they think do I have to sign something? Do I have to pay more for this? And again, that that's just not the case. Uh, there's no risk. There's no personal guarantees. There there's absolutely nothing for the the employees to sign. They have no downside potential. They've just got upside potential. So it's a great deal for them. But they, you know, of course, they're concerned about <laughs> you know what type of risk does does this create? So. Uh, and and the the answer to that is there is no risk.
1: So, and how did you go about allaying those fears? Did you have someone come in and help you manage that process, or did you know enough about it to be able to manage the process on your own to kind of help allay those fears? And
2: yeah, we had we had some great uh, support from others in the industry. The ESOP community is actually a pretty small, very helpful community. So we. We had reached out uh, to some other ESOP companies to see how they communicate these things. We had some advisors along the way that had some communication pieces as well. So a little combination of everything. The great thing about the employee ownership community uh, is most people are very willing to share and uh, and mentor for no cost. So we, we developed a lot of peer uh, friends throughout the uh, throughout the process and continue to do that. and and vice versa. Now that we're in it, we, we like to talk and, and be that mentor as well. We, we're we really passionate about the ESOP and what it's done for our company and uh, all the people here.
1: I think that's really interesting. I love this idea. I I think that, well, like I said, you, you seem to have done it for really great reasons, but I know that there's other companies that are sometimes forced into doing it or do it for less than you know philanthropic or altruistic reasons like you have you know motivated more by a company centric reason maybe risk management or looking for greater profits or a better brand recognition with you know freeing up uh, freeing up things the way that you can as far as tax advantages but i read an article where you were quoted as saying that if you take care of your employees they will be better prepared and far more motivated to take care of your customers and i think that's great but how do you do that without coming across as self-serving? You know what I mean? I, in, maybe, it's, maybe it's in the way it's presented, but maybe the experience that you've had or, or some other organizations that you've, that you've helped mentor or found out about, how do, you, how do you do that? How do you keep it on the employee side as opposed to the company, more con- company-centric?
2: Yeah, I think that, that really comes back to leadership and what type of leadership is in place. And an ESOP is not right for everybody. If if you're really not a servant leader and and you really don't care about people, uh, and it is all about the profits, then it's probably not a good fit for you. Uh, You really have to put the egos aside and understand that uh, great leaders are people that ultimately try to put their people in positions to be more successful. So... Uh, there, there are companies out there and leaders out there that certainly wouldn't be a fit for uh, the ESOP model, in in my opinion. So,
1: yeah, because you really have to get. I mean, it, it's just not enough to do it to say, "Great, we're going to put this in your hands." Because it sounds like you you really thought long and hard about how to do that, and that you really keyed into the fact that it's more than just the idea of ownership. It's the it's the it's the realization of you're a part of this, and you're helping to grow it. Did that sort of drive you?
2: Yeah, it did. I I think the the, the other just misconception about an ESOP is, okay, now everybody's got ownership, and everybody can vote, and, you know, all these decisions now, it's it's completely, uh, everything has to go to vote. The reality of it is uh, successful ESOPs, much like other companies, they have to have a leader, and they have to have a leadership team, and uh, not everybody is privy to every single thing that goes on in the company; otherwise, the growth would just be stifled. So, uh, again, just a lot of communication along those lines too, with with every single individual in the company, what that ownership really means, and uh, the fact that, uh, hey, it's still it's still run like a company. Now, now we do a lot of surveying, and and we want a lot of input, and we get a lot of input because we've got such an engaged group of uh, individuals, but. Uh, at the end of the day we we do talk a lot about uh, how decisions need to be made and uh, when decisions need to be made, and by who
1: I just I love this concept. I really do. well we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we 'll hear more from Sean about the challenges and rewards of running an ESOP. Stay with us we 'll be right back.. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed today's show, do this, share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about the challenges and rewards of creating and operating a 100% employee owned business with entrepreneur and author Sean Burke. Oh, I messed up your last name. Bircham. Bircham, for heaven's sakes. I'm so sorry about that, Sean. So I have a question for you. I, I was thinking on the break about this model, and it just sounds like a great model. You were talking about the tax advantages. and So why do you think more companies don't go with this model? Is it too expensive? you, know what, it, you think it's the loss of control that you mentioned?
2: I, I think uh, to some degree maybe loss of control. If, again, if you're not the, the right type of leader, uh, the, the loss of... Uh, some profits to some degree. I mean, you, you, uh, I'm, I'm no more of an owner now than any other uh, peers that are 150-plus employee owners now. So that's part of it. Honestly, I think a lot of it, and, and we're working to try to get the word out, they don't teach about this in any university. I, I speak to graduate students that have never heard about this, uh, going, going through some of the best universities in the country. Uh, they're still not teaching about ESOPs uh, in, in, uh, in the business world. The, the people that come through business schools get their master's in business administration. Uh, it's just amazing that uh, this concept is so unique and, and the word's just not out there. And I, I don't know the reason for that, uh, but I can tell you that uh, the, the National Center of Employee Ownership and, and the ESOP Foundation are certainly working along with us to try to get the word out there.
1: It's really interesting. I think, you know, the benefits, it just, it's, for us, it was like a workplace perspective to talk about the employee side and the employer side, and I like this model because I think it benefits both. So, I, I read this article that was talking about how statistically, employee ownership plans really raised employee expectations about their role in the organization, so from this aspect of putting managers in a position to allow the employees to have more involvement, kind of what you were talking about, how decisions are made, who's going to make the decisions. But let me ask you this. Why do you think it takes it? Well, and the article that I was reading also was saying that how, how all of that productivity improved. There were all these great improvements on the employer side, great things for the company and on the employee side as well, like much more engagement, a more fulfilling uh, work life, a better career, you know, better career opportunities that all increased with this model. But my question is, why do you think it takes that type of an ownership incentive for the organization to work more effectively with its employees or to increase, you know, to increase that employee participation um, in the day-to-day operations?
2: Yeah, I think whether you're an ESOP company or a non-ESOP company, either one, the reality of the world Today and this this is the workforce in general we've created this uh, most people do not understand the challenges that come along with business uh, most people perceive that as an owner uh, or uh, and I'll, I'll just stick with that owner as an owner you're taking home a lot more money than you actually are the national average out there that people perceive of every dollar that comes in thirty six goes to the bottom line. So 36%. There's not very many companies out there that, that take 36% to the bottom line. In fact, the average is below six.
1: Wow.
2: So uh, just, it, it's really unique on, on what people don't know. So the other thing along with that is, uh, uh, there's a Gallup poll now, and it has went up just a little bit, but 66% of the workforce is disengaged. So only 34% of the workforce claim that they're engaged at work.
1: Wow, and that's I, staggering. I,
2: I believe that the biggest reason for that is they don't know why they're there. They don't have a purpose. Number one, <laughs> and, <laughs> and number two, they have no idea how that business operates and needs to make money. They're they're told what to do instead of why they're doing it, and they're not educated on financial literacy. So why should they have uh, uh, any more work ethic uh, than than anybody else? And that's what creates that disengagement when 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 they really don't know why they're there. And they're going to be disengaged. Uh,
1: you know, it's really interesting. I, I love the way you put that. I see that all the time from a risk perspective. So the larger the organization, of course, the more diluted the message gets as you go down the line. So I always say, you know, upper management, they put out the edict, they know the directive, they're they're up on the law, they know what the organization has to do, and they think they communicate down that down the chain. But then you realize that the people on the front line, the ones that you're talking about working every day, who don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. And they don't understand the, they're not financially literate. So they don't understand the impact of their actions on the organization. Now, whether that's poor customer service, you know, impacts the brand or impacts a sale, or from a risk perspective, are you talking about someone who doesn't understand why things have to be done a certain way, so that you're following the law, so you're not gaining financial impact on the organization and all those things. So I see that it's just a tourism. I see it all the time. Do you tell me what you do in your organization to sort of address that? I'm assuming since you are so aware of that, and I think you mentioned it at the beginning that you take steps to sort of help that out, help the employees out and help yourself out. What do you actually do?
2: Yeah, you have to share the the, the main job of a, a CEO or president is to share the vision. And, and you have to do it in a lot of different ways and a lot of different touches. I uh, I, I was fortunate to come up in a sales environment. I had, had no ambition of getting into sales out of college, but that just happened to be the path that I took. And I relate it to sales. It takes eight, nine, ten touches ultimately uh, to get a meeting sometimes. It takes employees eight, nine, ten different messages to really, uh, for it to really sink in. So you have to be aware of that. We, we actually have an aggressive model uh, where we sit down with every single individual in the company every 90 days and, and we look at how are they working in relation to our core values, what, is, what are their career ambitions, what are their personal ambitions, and all of that revolves around a goal setting methodology uh, that we use every 90 days to, to force ourselves uh, and track that and measure it uh, to, to make sure that we're helping every single individual achieve their personal goals, whether that's within this company or, or that means that, uh, you know, that's going to be ultimately outside of this company.
1: That's really interesting. That's that's a commitment every 90 days. So who sits down? Do you have a task force, a senior staff, or? Every,
2: every single leader. So if, uh, uh, if if they're reporting to a leader, then they sit down with their individual leader and have those conversations. So we have an an internal system that we've built called GritTrack that uh, not only shares our entire company strategic plan with the entire uh, employee owners, but it also uh, has goal setting uh, rhythms in there, ways for them to set goals, ways for us to track those goals. And it really goes along with the book, the Forbes book that just came out and hit the number one uh, Amazon bestseller list, but my book, Keeping Score with Grit, Straight Talk Strategies for Success, really walks people through uh, a lot of what we've done here at PFS Brands and some of the methodology we've used to get there.
1: I've seen the book. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. That's great. Okay. Well, tell me as we're kind of coming down to the end of our show, I want to ask you two questions. The first one is... What's your advice to employees who might want to initiate some of the ideas you've talked about today? So this idea of it, whether they're an ESOP or whether or not this inclusiveness—do you have any advice on how to initiate some of that? And how conversations they can have with their managers, or their CEOs?
2: Yeah, I think number one, read the read the book. Keeping <laughs> that's that's what it's all about. Is okay. How how can I help people be more successful? So that sounds like a plug. I know. And it is, <laughs> I it's loved a it. Bit, but but. I mean, read the book because the book is written for not. I mean, the book is not just written for leaders; it's actually written for employees or anybody that feels they may be stuck. And the best piece of advice I can I can give them is number one: understand how businesses operate and really become financial literate. Not, not I'm not saying become an accountant, but really understand how businesses operate and some of the challenges that those leaders are dealing with, from a legal perspective or just overall challenges of. Uh, financial responsibilities. Uh, But second, become laser-focused on being self-aware. Look in the mirror. I mean, there's all kinds of tools out there. Uh, We use Strength Finders and Colby and cultural uh, assessments. But become self-aware of your individual strengths and weaknesses and focus on on utilizing those strengths to be more successful. And then once you really become self-aware of yours, Become focused on every single individual and really and really look at what drives those individuals, what are their strengths. And the more self awareness and the awareness that you've got of those people around you, the more successful you can be because you, you, you can better operate within the team.
1: Sean, I love it. You're speaking my language. I love that. I love the self aware advice and the and just educating yourself. Get involved, be active, know why you're there. I love it. Well, That's our show for today. Sean, I want to thank you for joining me and for sharing your thoughts and your experiences with our listeners. We really appreciate it.
2: All right. Thanks for having me, Teresa.
1: Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about Sean and his views on establishing a culture where employees are highly engaged and think and act like owners, you can find him on the web at www.SeanBeacham.com. That's S H A W N B U R C H A M. Com. You can also connect to Sean via our website at sapphirelegal.com podcast. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Knave at Night, and Workplace Perspective's team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Michelle Hardy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.